That's right. Part of that is, hey, there we go. Part of that is my job. And I accept that wholeheartedly. But I want to say that it is also my job to bring you along to the point where you start to ask questions, start to engage, look in the text, think, is that really what it means? I, I'm learning things as a result of my worship. I want that to happen for every single one of us so that, so that I and this become liner notes for your life. And if this does not become liner notes for your life, if this does not become the description that makes sense of your story, then why are you even here? A lot of people are here because it makes them feel good. A lot of people come to church because it's a box they can check off. But they know it's this expectation for them. Let's grow beyond that. Let's engage because the Word of God is something in our heads and in our hearts in a way that means that these people here because of worship are sent out into the world to communicate the Gospel because they want to. Because they feel it in their bones and to do anything else would be disingenuous. Because they have a relationship with God where they know it, they feel it, they love it, and they're engaged with the Word. And so, and so what I'm saying is I'm going to preach and continue to preach so that I bring you along in the learning process. I want you to engage with the text itself. I could, I could tell good stories all day long. And that's not all bad. I want to do that better. I'm not that guy. I'm not naturally that good at that. I want to do that better. But, heaven forbid, if I tell stories at the expense of you learning it and engaging with it, and it becoming a part of your head and your heart by yourself and with us. I haven't done my job if that's the case. And there are lots of places. There are lots of places where you can go check off your little duty-bound box and feel good about yourself and hear some good stories. That is not our goal. Our goal is to equip you to love the Lord through the Word by yourself If we don't begin to do that, we haven't done our jobs. So, hopefully, (laughs) you become engaged in what we're talking about today. This is why we want to uh, resurrect something. Uh, a number of months ago, at the beginning of Genesis. So I want to do this at the beginning as we, uh, as we make a declaration of us being under the authority of the Word at the beginning of our preaching time today. Let's go ahead and hold up our Bibles and repeat this statement together in defiance of the cultural drift toward laziness. This is the written Word of God. It is the story of a gracious God who reveals Himself to a sinful world It is the story of His creation and purpose. It is my story. So this morning, I give myself wholeheartedly to hear from God and His Word that I might be in tune with His purposes. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, it is our heart's desire to be engaged. You've given us words on a page 
that become alive in our lives, that become working words, that become living words as your Spirit shapes us through the process of growth into who you called us to be. Father, we want to be people who bear your image so that when people look at our lives, they see you and your character and your nature. Increasingly make of us a body here where that is the goal. Where your purpose is our first, second, and third in our lives. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to look at chapter 4, verses 25 to 6. It's going to sort of lay the groundwork for where we were last week to what we're coming to this week. It's sort of the context for what we're talking about this week. Uh, Verses 25 and 6, chapter 4. Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me, the word Seth means appointed, the name Neth, Seth means appointed. God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. Now remember, when, when, when Adam and Eve started that birth process, God had just told them that one of their offspring was going to come and to redeem them, was going to come and crush the serpent's head. So they had this expectation, Eve might literally have had the expectation that she was bearing the person, the Savior, that her own offspring was going to be saving them. And so you can imagine what they felt like when one of their offspring killed another one of their offspring. So so Cain kills Abel, and she thinks, something is not right. Where's this Redeemer? Where's this Savior? So, so she's excited and, and uh, says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Uh, in other words, Seth is the Abel replacement. So to Seth also a son was born and called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Remember we talked about how it's the 70th time last week that, that the word Lord or God shows up. In Genesis, And that's at the very end of that first whole section where it talks about the generations of the heaven and the earth. And now, in uh, chapter 5, we start the book of the generations of Adam. And this is the second main uh, category uh, in, in Scripture. We'll see that in just a second. And what we're going to see in these first few verses, just the first couple of verses, is that there is a promise that is creation in His image and being blessed. That those two promises are what Moses is reminding the people about here because this is a genealogy. This is just a family tree. becomes the example in contrast to last week of the blessing of God. Last week, the, the, the family of Cain, that was the curse. That was an example of the curse uh, falling upon those people and the degeneration into sin where sin became something that not... Not just shameful, but a badge of honor. And that's what happened last week. So this week, we're talking about uh, Adam through Seth and Seth's uh, genealogy. So look at verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 5. Uh, these opening two verses sort of give an introduction, a, a title, and an intro. The title is that first phrase, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. That's the title to this, this section here. And uh, that title is followed up by this description 
1b and 2, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So we have the title, Book of Generations of Adam, and then the introduction of the whole genealogy. This sort of sets the tone for what's going on here. And, and, and there's a couple main features to tell you about here. Halfway through verse 1, it says, when God created man. And at the end of verse 2, it says, when they were created. It's the same kind of phrase that's used to sort of be bookends. Um, for the nerds, it's called an inclusio. It's sort of like a, a parenthesis, and it's saying this part in between these two is important. And the important things are image number one, blessing number two. Image and blessing. We get the image idea in that uh, first verse there where it says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness or image of God, male and female, he created them. Now this harkens back to Genesis 1. And I want you to turn there for just a minute. Genesis 1 Verses 26 through 28. We'll get to that in just a second here. I skipped something that I want to tell you um, about that first verse. Uh, so we'll come back to Genesis 1 in a second. In that first verse, it says, The book of the generations of Adam. I'm going to show you a picture that tells us about the structure of Genesis. It tells us all about how, how Genesis is put together. In ten different places, uh, 11 or 12, depending on how you count it. Uh, in ten different places... All of Genesis is divided into 1 through 11 and 11 through 50. And the first section, if you'll go back, the first section is called primeval history. Primeval history starts where it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. We've just finished last week all that description of the generations of the heaven and the earth. And now we're starting the second section, 5, 1 uh, through 6, 8. And where it tells us about the, the generations of Adam. If you're wondering what the, where the book Genesis title comes from, it's that word generations. Uh, because Genesis is just uh, the Latin word for beginnings, which is the same as this word uh, generations. These are the beginnings or generations of. And so the first section is the first age, primeval history. The second section is patriarchal history about spiritual fathers, uh, of, of the people in Genesis and following. So, so let's jump back into Genesis 1 where we get this idea of image. It says, let us, verse 126, let us, that's an example of the Trinity there, let us make man in our image. That word man is not like male. That word man is all of humanity. It's the generic Hebrew word for people, for mankind, for humanity. For years and years until recently, mankind meant all men and women. And so it's, it's, it's like that. So it says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This is where we get the idea of the, the, the doctrine, the theology of the image of God. You maybe have heard the word imago Dei. Uh, that's a word for image of God. And it's where we get this idea that we are created to be uh, reflections of God. Now, now, the word reflections is one I'm using on purpose because, because we're made to be pictures of God. Our life is made to be a picture of God. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, 
The other idea that, that Moses is picking up on from Genesis 5 uh, here is, is Genesis, I'm sorry, from Genesis 1 is this idea of blessing. So we talked about the image, and then it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, da 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 Verse 28, it says, be fruitful and multiply. So he's taking these two ideas of image and blessing from back in Genesis 1, and he's saying, remember those, remember those, because that's what this genealogy is about. And so back to Genesis 5, he's, he's telling us that the genealogy of Seth and his family, these are people who are living out the image and the blessing of God as they were intended. The Sethites were living out the image and the blessing of God as they were intended. So, being an imager, a picturer of God, is something that is talked about as the very first job description for your existence. Very clearly, very, very simply, very plainly in Scripture, the very first thing that it says about who you are is that you are created to be a picturer, an imager, a reflection of God. The truth of that, that is amazing, is that God is trying to create in our lives places where we make known His glory. That's what your body is about. That's what your mind is for. That's what your resources, your kids, your everything that you call yours improperly is about. Filling the earth with godliness. You are not a plumber. You are not a teacher. You are not a banker. Whatever. And, and, and at the very beginning of Scripture, it clearly, plainly says, you are meant to be a garden where God's Word grows. Where the truth about who God is is, is pictured on your life so that, so that people can look at you and they can say, so that's what He looks like. Whatever your notions, for whatever reason, learned from whomever about why you were created, forget them. Because it's deception and lie to distract you from becoming someone who loves showing forth God's glory. Everything else is deceptive to make you think it's about you. As if your degree, or your job, or your anything, is what you're supposed to be about. And it's amazing to me how, how our pictures 
are about us. We have really gotten this one backwards. How many of our lives are about picturing the goodness and the love and the mercy and the character and the nature of perfect, infinite, holy God? How many of our pictures are really yearbooks, snapshots of lives that are about building for ourselves kingdoms where we are filling the world with our glory? From the very beginning, it is plain as day that you are called to be the image of God lived out for people to see. I've got a nerdy phrase for this. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down because you may have to look up a couple words. Um, But here's a good note to sort of write down and chew on this week. Uh, And it's something you'll discuss in life groups uh, later on this week. But I think if, if we can get this, if we can get this, it will, uh, it will change how we think about our lives. It really will. Um, the image of God, here's the nerdiness. The image of God is intended to be a functional description. The image of God is intended to be a functional description. Something we do. A functional description of our lives and not just a metaphysical category. That's the nerdiness, I know. The image of God is intended to be a functional description and not just a metaphysical category. In other words, we are the image of God not just because we are something, but we bear the image of God when we do something, when when we are behaving in a particular kind of way that shows forth his character and nature. When we become dramatic stories, when our lives start to to teach and preach and show and make known godliness, then we are becoming imagers as we were intended. Because our lives dramatize the nature and the character of God. So, So Moses is hearkening back to that and he's saying, this is it. This is what you're supposed to do. And he also harkens back to the idea of blessing. And as we'll see in this uh, genealogy, the idea of blessing is obviously there because we see person after person after person after person listed in these genealogies. And they're being fruitful. The Sethites got busy with their job. So that's part of the, uh, that's part of the being fruitful and multiplying. I want to say something about that blessing, though, and the being fruitful and multiplying. Um, being fruitful and multiplying uh, makes it sound like um, if you can't bear children, you don't get to participate. It makes it sound like uh, you know men don't really get to be as, as big a deal with the being fruitful and multiplying because we're not making babies. Um, that, of course, is, is silly. Uh, the primary way to be people who make imagers of God may not be bearing children. The primary way that we are called to make more imagers of God won't necessarily be making children. Don't you see that, that what we do, who we are as a church, this is about making imagers of God. 
This is about raising up a people who will make known the glory of God by what we do, by what we do when we're gathering in worship and, and creating spaces for growth in our lives, by communicating the gospel. That's us making spiritual babies. Being fruitful and multiply may have, have really been about making the glory of God known first, and anybody can do that. And here's how we do it here. We talk about the 3C life a lot. And so, and so if you're celebrating God here, and you're cultivating growth in study groups or Sunday school classes and in life groups, and, and you're also participating in communicating the Gospel here or elsewhere, it doesn't matter. If you are a part of this line, it's coming under all these programs and processes and helping others participate, you're making spiritual babies. You are being fruitful and multiplying. The glory of God made known in you in somebody else. You get to make a disciple maker. That's why we have that as a part of our process. So that we can be people and a congregation that makes more people who love to display the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you can't or haven't born children physically. Every single one of us was made and created for this purpose. So we all get to be a part of what God intended when He talks about image and blessing. Now in, in 3 through 32, there are a number of verses that sort of, that sort of repeat a pattern that we're going to talk about quickly here. And I want us to see a couple things in this. One is that there's this, this problem of death. I mean, you can imagine God says, your offspring are going to bring redemption. And so they start bearing children. My offspring are beginning to die. There's this, there's this problem that they're having because, because they're beginning to see that, that death is still a consequence of their sin. So there are ten sections that, that say, when blank had lived blank years, he fathered blank and lived this long and had this many sons and daughters and lived to be this old, blah, blah, blah. It's the same exact kind of pattern throughout. And at the end, it says, and he died. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says, this person lived this many years, had this many sons and daughters, da, da, da. And it says, comma, death. It doesn't really say, and he died. It just says, it just says, like, when Seth had lived, he fathered Enos, all the days of Seth were death. It sort of punctuates the end of those statements with the word death. As if to say, but they're still suffering the effects of the fall of their sin. So, so we see this going on in Scripture where there are times when it, it looks like there's no hope possible. Adam and Eve had just experienced that feeling of no hope, their offspring that they thought was going to bring redemption was murdered. Feel hopeless there, obviously. So we see that pattern going on here uh, where universal death uh, creeps in. So follow along as we blitz through these names. Uh, we're going to note a couple of little things here, though, along the way. And especially we're going to note what the names mean. So we'll note what these names mean as we go through. Verse 3. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to kind of quickly go through. I'll, I'll read a few of them here and note a few things. But uh, Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son 
in his own likeness, after his image. That's something that's exceptional about this. It's not in the other ones. It's in the thing about Adam. He fathered a son in his own image and named him Seth. The days of Adam were 800 years, had other sons and daughters. All the days were 930, and boom, he died. The word Adam means man. So on your worship outlines there, on the sermon outlines, you can write the word man next to Adam. The Hebrew is Adam, Adama, and it means man. Next generation. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived another 803 years, had other sons and daughters. All his days were 912, and boom, he died. Seth means appointed. Appointed. If you're taking notes, you'll see a, we'll see some cool stuff uh, later on here. As we write down these names. Seth means appointed. Verse 9. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan, lived another 815, had other sons and daughters. All the days were 905, and boom, he died. Enosh means mortal. Means mortal. It's from a root that means incurably dead. Incurably mortal. No hope for that. Uh, verse 12, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalael. Kenan lived another 840, had other sons and daughters. All his days were 910, and boom, he died. Enosh's son was named Kenan, which can mean sorrow or dirge. Sorrow is what we're going with. Verse 15, when Mahalael had lived 65, he fathered Jared. Lived another 830, had other sons and daughters. All of his days were 895, and he died. Mahalael. Kenan's son was Mahalael, and that means blessed or praise. It means the blessed God. Mahalael means the blessed God, if you're taking notes there. Verse 18, when Jared had lived 162, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after Enoch another 800 years and had other sons and daughters. All of his years were 962, and boom, he died. Mahalael's son was named Jared, which means shall come down. Shall come down. Another difference in these genealogies shows up here in verses 21 to 24. In fact, 21 to 24 is not in this section of the outline in the sermon outline because it's an example of bright hope. We'll come back to that in a second, but for now, 21 through 24, when Enoch had lived 65, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. That's different. It wasn't in the other ones. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters, all the days of him were 365 and it says it again, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. It doesn't say, and he died. It says, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch, obviously, is a type of Christ. Enoch is a, is a type of a redeemer. He's not the redeemer. But he walked with God significantly enough that it doesn't say, and he died. It says, God took him. Verse 25 I'm sorry, Enoch, uh, his, his name means teaching. His name means teaching. Uh, 
Verse 25, when Methuselah lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Lived another 782, had other sons and daughters. All of his days were 969 and he died. Methuselah is an interesting one. The flood of Noah, as we'll talk about in a couple weeks, did not come as a surprise. But something strange happened when Enoch was 65 at the time from which he walked with God. He was given a prophecy that as long as his son would live, as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be withheld. But the year he dies, the flood comes Enoch named his son to reflect that prophecy of the flood. The name Methuselah means his death shall bring. And indeed, in the year that he died, his death brought the flood. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, fathered a son, called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 more and had sons and daughters. All the days were 777 and he died. Methuselah's son was named Lamech, a word meaning lamentation or lament. Um, It suggests the idea of despair. So we're going to go with the despairing for Lamech's name. Lamech suggests despair. Verse 32, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Noah means to bring relief or comfort. So comfort or relief. And, and this is an example of the kind of thing that I want you to continue to see as we go through Genesis. There, there are tons of cool, cool things like this throughout the Scriptures. And like we talked about last week, even the way certain numbers are used, we don't want to be crazy and make numbers what they are not. But they point to a God who knows what He's doing, who puts these things together. Look at these names. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalael, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. In English, in the text of the Scriptures, is the Gospel in seed form. It's man for Adam, appointed for Seth, mortal for Enosh. Man was appointed with a job. He was appointed to be an imager of God. But he sinned. And so... He died. The word Enosh means incurably dead. Man who was appointed to bear image of God died and will die. And that brings sorrow. That brings pain. That brings frustration like we talked about as a result of the fall. And so, Mahalael, the blessed God shall come down. Himself come down. Teaching the truth that his death will bring the despairing rest or comfort. In the pages of Scripture is the coolest, coolest stuff. Here is the gospel of an offspring sent down to us. Turns out the offspring is God Himself. 
And it's His own death that will bring those who despair comfort. Look at Enoch for a second. 21 to 24. We'll close with this. It says this in verses 21 through 24. Chapter 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. That phrase, walked with God, is only applied here in Genesis to Enoch and Noah. It describes a close, personal communion and intimacy with God. As if walking alongside Him. It is to be distinguished from other Old Testament phrases like walking before God, which is also used in Genesis, or walking after God, which is used in Deuteronomy. Those describe blameless moral and ethical conduct. But walking with God is far more intimate. In fact, the minor prophets later on in the Old Testament talk about walking with God to describe what it's like to go into that special holy of holies in the temple, in the sanctuary, where no one else got to go. Because the presence of God was there in a special way. And once a year... The high priest, the one chief high priest, got to go in and be with God. That same kind of terminology is used to describe being in the Holy of Holies. And so, and so the fact that Enoch, a person just like you and I, can be described as having that kind of intimate, personal communion and relationship with God is mind-blowing because it means for us that is no less possible. If we see our lives as about being the people whose primary, secondary, tertiary, four, five, six, seven goal in life is picturing the character and nature of God, first and foremost, everything else doesn't matter. What differentiates Enoch as walking with God and nobody else in this list making that, is that he bore the image of God in a way that was noticeable, that was palpable, that people saw. They looked at Enoch and they said, that's what it's like to know and walk with God. We implore you to engage with what we do here so that that can be said about you. so that we can be those people who image God in a way that the world sees, that people connect to, that people can look at you and say, so that's what God is like. When you start to walk with the Lord like that, it is a step above mere living. It is what we were created to do in the first place. Do you want satisfaction in life? Do you want, do you want purpose? Do, do you want a sense that your life matters? And do what you were called to do in the first place. Make known the goodness and the character 
of holy God so that it can be said about our lives, about our resources, about our families, about this congregation, that they are filling the earth with the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, each, each one of us has infinitely missed the mark in living lives that are about your glory. And so, Father, we want to reclaim that precious truth that you made us and created us for these good purposes. And so we want to be people who engage with you through your word and through prayer and through uh, worship through fellowship with other believers who would encourage us so that we will fittingly respond, so that we will participate in the kingdom like you've called us. Forgive us for giving our lives to silly things. And help us, Lord, to be people who bear the image of God. That it could be said of us that the genealogy of our lives starts off with image and blessing and it ends up with hope. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we